Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into ancient Taoist texts to uncover their timeless wisdom and to talk about how to apply it for today's chaotic world. I'm David Wong, Executive Coach. I'm joined by Ian Felton, Practicing Psychotherapist. Hey, David. Hey. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, we are, um, you know, studying at the request of our listeners. We're uh, studying, um, you know, the Tao Te Ching from the very beginning because our recording um, started middle of the, uh, the, you know, the ancient text. So we're at chapter three today. Yep, we're. We're moving right back along, and it's really fun just revisiting those early chapters. Now that you and I have been doing this for years, and obviously we've talked a lot and covered a lot of ground, and you know, talking with you has really enriched my way of thinking, and so it's really enjoyable coming back and and feeling like maybe I. A little bit of a different person than the first time we went through these chapters. That's good to hear. It's mutual. I think a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, when we uh, study together, I think, you know, you create a uh, an exchange um, that, uh, you know, that lead to, you know, sparks and you know, just different ways of looking at things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, last chapter, chapter two. You know, Lao Tzu talked about dualities and especially those set of opposites which depend each other uh, to exist. Um, you know, I was wondering, um, maybe we can um, start actually um, reading out and then we, we can make some connections between the last chapter as we talked about it. Okay. Yeah. So why don't you just uh, you know read out in Chinese the ancient text for this chapter first? All right. So here's chapter three, or Di Shang Zhang. Bu Shang Xian, Shi Min Bu Zheng, Bu Gui Nan De Zhi Huo, Shi Min Bu Wei Dao. 不信可遇,舍民信不論。That's very good. That's very good. So uh, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, let me just uh, share one version. Uh, There are many translations here. One version of the English translation, which I liked uh, for this, uh, this chapter. Not praising the praiseworthy keeps people uncompetitive. Not prizing rare treasures 
keeps people from stealing. Not looking at the desirable keeps the mind quiet. So the wise soul governing people would empty their minds, fill their fill their bellies, weaken their wishes, strengthen their bones, keep people unknowing, unwanting, keep the ones who do know from doing anything. When you do not doing, nothing's out of order. Nice. What what was that translation from? Where did you find that one? From is that uh, one? Le, Le Guin, like uh, Ur, Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. Yeah. What is that? Do you know like what about what year that one was done? Uh I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Okay. Yeah, but this no, one, uh, I you know looked at uh, you know uh, uh, you know a few different versions, and mm. I think there's like a rhythm to the translation mm. of it. It's pretty good. Yeah, for this chapter, I have to look yeah. at different. Each chapter is different. Sometimes I mm -hmm. wish the translator can all the way through. You know, it's just one one of my favorite, but it happens to be like. Different chapters, you know, some translation are better for that chapter for whatever reason. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know, so we have read aloud the ancient text, the original text, and also the translations. Um, my first question for you is, um, you know, last chapter, chapter two, you know, there's a discussion on the, you know, interdependence of the opposites. So. Where what is the connection do you see between, you know, this chapter and the, the last chapter? Well, you know, the the ending of it is the most pronounced, which is mm -hmm. in a in a dualistic way of thinking. When people think of governing, they think about control and think about you know just you have to go in and force people to do all these things that are against their natural desires because, you know, that's what, that's what governing's about, right? Like for a lot of people, people see governing as actively manipulating people and actively intervening in their lives in a way to get them to do something um, that they otherwise wouldn't do. But Lao Tzu's way of talking about governing is this um, dialectic way of, you know, you, you accomplish things by doing as little as interfering as you can. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think the, um, when you really think about it, the conventional wisdom of leading or governing, you know, just as you said, is uh, almost like a, shepherding or pushing, depending on what verbs you use, people toward a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Well, as you described, that allows to let that opposite coexist. And uh, a lot of times these opposites will figure out themselves, you know, without mm -hmm. the external interference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So which leads to actually to the beginning sentence of this chapter, which is 
for example, xian, you know, the, 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 the keyword here, xian. Uh, what do you think about um, that word? Do you think it is not necessarily we don't need the capable people? It's almost the action we're taking uh, about those people that leads to problems. That's mm -hmm. my understanding of it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, esteeming um, like certain mm -hmm. skills or talents um, that, yeah, there's, there's the action and then there's the human being separate from mm -hmm. that action. I mean, if we're, if we look at Tao, not as a thing, but as a process, then I think even from a modern psychological standpoint, it, it makes sense. And, and, and no doubt what modern psychology is discovering, again, most of this, they're just ripping off of ancient Eastern philosophy and, you know, putting some studies around it and saying, oh, look at our scientific evidence. But, mm -hmm. um, but that's what Tao is. Tao is a process. So it's saying, you know, don't cling to things. Don't, don't put these people who have talents on some pedestal and try to um, bestow them with some special privilege or some certain status that, that just creates confusion and creates disorder that there's a process to things and that process is what's important and not singling singling people out or singling things out and trying to um, get people's hearts to be attached to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk, you know, like still use this Xian, for example, at the very beginning, what was that process? Uh, how did that process operate or function? Well, can we give can we give our listeners a definition of Xian? Just because I'm sure they they don't they don't know exactly what um what we're talking about there. Um, so this Xian for me is about like being talent. What what would be your definition of it? Because I'm skillful or. Uh, capable yeah okay. yeah it's uh you know our, in our society especially let's say i think in ancient china uh from the Conf confucian uh perspective you always instead of select uh, the you know ar uh, aristocracies you want to through entrance uh, you know civil um service uh examinations to select those capable people. Uh, similarly, when I learned, you know, studied the US history, there was a debate between uh, Jefferson and uh, John Adams. Uh, you know, uh, in addition to the structures of the US, uh, you know, the, the new republic, you know, uh, should, it's very important to have 
the natural, what they call the natural aristocracy, uh, mm. to be part of the 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 the, the government because they are the capable people. So that was the motivation behind, let's say, Jefferson's founding of the University of Virginia, and et cetera. So there, there's a lot of discussion throughout history about this notion of meritocracy versus aristocracy. aristocracy. Yeah. Well, and notice even and with what Lao is saying, he's not saying that skillful people and talented people don't have a part to play. He just says, don't give them special status. Right, 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 right. I think that's the that's the key thing here. It's the how we do about it uh, that creates the problem. It's not like the functioning of a community doesn't need capable people. Yeah. Right. So that's the that's the key key thing here. But then. Uh, you know, some people might raise the question, so if there's no differentiation, then what's the incentives? You know, I remember, well, uh, you know, in a lot of discussion about the China's, like say, socialist experiment, mm-hmm. uh, there's a word called 大锅饭, means like big, big mm-hmm. bowl, everybody eats from the, the big wok, right? The, mm-hmm. the, Mm-hmm. Um, but then that leads to laziness. So that's mm-hmm. to give the reason to uh, the right, you know, to the reform and open open door policy of Deng Xiaoping, uh, mm-hmm. because to um, because the understanding at that time was the capitalist or the market economy. They didn't say, oh, you know, we embrace the full scale capitalism, uh, but we. Um, you know, we want to the market economy as opposed to central planners to decide things. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's important to keep in mind, though, is Lao Tzu's context, he wasn't, the wisdom that he was sharing was still within a context of a certain society. He wasn't saying that, you know, these words will work in any civilization. He 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 even you know, painted a picture of what he imagined an ideal community, and an ideal community for Lao Tzu was still it was much smaller. It was more like not even a town, but more like you know a nomadic group of mm-hmm. or. It, if not nomadic, at least semi-nomadic people who just lived completely lo- local. Like there was no, ne- not necessarily even trade routes to um, of much significance that people essentially lived in small groups and lived very much locally. So, you know, once you start talking about the scale of civilizations that are... Mm-hmm millions and tens of millions of people, obviously Lao Tzu's wisdom isn't going to be able to uh, uh, apply in in the same way. So, you know, it does make sense that once you've already kind of crossed that threshold where humanity now is going to become billions of people on the planet and all of those people need 
to be fed, and then there's going to be nations that rise up and competition over resources, mm -hmm. and then, you know, of course, the militaries have to be supported and sustained, which means, you know, you've got to be, now you've got to be worried about productivity, and all that productivity goes into building armies and building technology and weaponry and and so on and so forth and so a lot of Lao Tzu's wisdom we have to think about it in we in a different context that if we start applying it in the context of advanced civilizations like what we have it just it 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 breaks down right right that's a good point uh that leads to the question uh which is what is the relevant part, given the contextual differences? Uh, you know, the civilization, the level, or the the level of civilization we're in. Uh, obviously, you know, the civilization or the world we're living is not functioning well, right? It's there's a lot of chaos there, which you know creates the um, you know the incentive for us to look back in our history, especially among the thoughts of people like Lao Tzu, to see, uh, you know, what they thought at the beginning of the civilization, you know, some of the things, and may, we may get inspired. But as you well pointed out, now we're living in a different world. So for a lot of people, including maybe our listeners, you know, people who, you know, I see in the Taoist world that one is Oh, maybe you know we can recreate or reinvent the Taoist world way of living, mm -hmm. um, which you know we are open and uh, you know that's why we spend all this time exploring. But also, you know, as you just said, we're living in a different world, so we're facing with a situation like say, exactly which part of the wisdom we can learn a little bit without on a full scale going back, turning back the clock. Well, I think, you know, we, we have language around this all already and um, Lao Tzu's wisdom can definitely be applied to that because we, we talk about um, the wealth gap, we talk about inequality mm -hmm. and even, even billionaires like Ray Dalio mm -hmm. will say things like, Yes, the extreme wealth gap between the country's richest and poorest is not sustainable, and, and it's a big threat to um, the country. It's a big threat to stability. And so Lao Tzu, this is what Lao Tzu said long, you know, thousands of years ago he was saying this, and that's essentially what he's saying, like, don't don't esteem talented people that much. So while yes, maybe you need some incentives to mobilize people, the incentives that we have, the scale is unfathomable. I mean, where there's a few visualizations that have been done to just try to paint a picture of how much wealth the wealthiest people have. And it's like, one of them has you like scrolling a, a, a web browser window mm -hmm. and you scroll like they have little chunks of 
blocks that represent wealth and like you can scroll past the average person's wealth doesn't even fit on the screen one mm-hmm. time like, and then you you get to these billion these people with hundreds of billions of dollars and you're trying to scroll through their money and it's like you could spend all day sitting there scrolling and you're not even getting close to scrolling through it and it's like just trying to get you to fathom how much wealth these people have and you still can't fathom it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah yeah you know another one i think it's like the the 400 people who own i don't know what percentage of wealth but it's it's the majority of the wealth on the planet on the whole planet mm-hmm. they could fit on one 747 mm-hmm. like and there would still be empty seats on the plane right Right, right. Wow, that's uh, incredible. Uh, how do you, you, you mentioned earlier, like you want to create a certain incentive for people to work harder, you know, to uh, reach higher in some way. Um, but also, you don't want to lead to a situation like what we are facing in. So where do you draw the line? Like, exactly, you know, what when Lao Tzu said, don't esteem, you know, how, how, how would a leader or a sage translate that into a certain maybe behaviors of uh, or approaches to things yeah i mean it's it's i mean even looking back at you know when when the us was really before we started declining you know let's say the the even in the fifties and productivity mm-hmm. around that time, I think the average CEO wage was maybe like 30 to 50 times what the mm-hmm. average work- workers was. I mean, that's still a, I mean, that's a lot. Like if you have 50 times the right, right. income of, I mean, there's a lot you can do with that. And, and now it's just, and these are averages. So you yep. know, we're talking the averages are like four or 500 times the average person's wages. And that, and I don't, that doesn't even count wealth, right? Like we're just talking annual wages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's, it's complicated again, because just like our civilization is so far gone, really. Um, you know, just where the, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the chances of, it's probably not going to be rectified, right? Like, it's not going to be rectified. You mean like a reform in certain ways? It's not like going to be reformed, it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I mean, it's probably just going to just eventually deteriorate. I mean, keep deteriorating and there will be some type of, recalibration that will happen through ca- catastrophe or revolution versus willing rectification just because like we're way past that threshold of mm. being able to do anything uh, uh, about it so at the government scale like the federal government level like no i i honestly just don't think that there's anything to be done other than way like let things run its course at this point because try like it's just it's not going to happen mm, mm. 
that in itself manifests the working of Tao, don't you think? Like exactly, yes, a hundred percent. It's Tao. Yeah. yeah, and it's not working. Another explanation for the dysfunctionality of the current system is because it's so far away from Tao, right? Tao yes, is not exactly. like that. So that's why that's the that's why it's not working. Yeah. But now, for it to be working, Tao will figure out a way. Will you know? It will things will run its own natural course. Yeah, I mean, it's, Lao Tzu is a genius. I mean, he he spelled it all out, and you can just studying a little bit of history, you can see he he came up with this. He was learned. He studied. He observed, and it's true. Like you see how it plays out. Um, civilizations they get so they do all this stuff that we're talking about in this chapter where. You know, you have the skillful, talented people mm -hmm. sucking up all of the wealth and resources and status, and everyone else is just these peons with nothing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and then it falls apart. Like that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, that's a very interesting um, discussion. If I have to summarize what we've you know, the key points we arrived at is um, Lao Tzu had the, the foresight to look through, you know, by studying history or studying human nature, you know, to have that insights, uh, which give us, you know, really a interesting understanding of where we are in our world. The world is not working because of it's out of Tao. It's not right. Yeah. It's not living in accordance with Tao. And now it's at a green pole, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now uh instead of trying to uh um fix it or even go along with it, well, you know, maybe um the true person, true Taoist person is to continue to live in it, mm -hmm. but you know, follow the Tao, let Tao Mm -hmm. um work its way out yeah 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 completely i mean at the individual level yeah we we have to exist within mm -hmm. you know this world and these civilizations but there's still a lot of personal freedom there's still a lot of freedom for you to be in the world in a way that makes sense to you like you don't have to go along with the beliefs that um you know you're you should value and worship celebrities and value and worship materialism and value and worship all these things like people still have i mean that's what religious freedom is all about i mean it's supposedly in this country even though people on the right and left are intolerant of anyone who doesn't believe just like them. Mm -hmm. You do have that freedom. I mean, in, in the United States and I mean, even in China, you probably wouldn't necessarily, um, people might look at you funny just like they would in the U S but it's like, there's freedom to believe and, and the way that you want to 
believe and you don't have to just adopt the worldview of everyone around you. Talk to us more about that freedom, because that word, uh, you know, has different meanings for different people, right? Uh, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people think about, you know, mostly are the political freedom. But at mm -hmm. a deeper level, I do think, you know, within humanity, there's that desire mm -hmm. for freedom, right? Is that... Mm -hmm. So tell us more about that, because a lot of people, you know, if I read between the lines or listen between the lines of, you know, people are saying, people are anxious, you know, there's mm -hmm. no that sense of freedom, but people are, they, they want it, they, they, mm -hmm. they, they, but they don't know how to get it within mm -hmm. the current system. So tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, again, at the extremes, which are now, you know, let's say like 10 to 15% of the people in the political, I'm just talking in the U.S. now, but 10 to 15% of the people at the political extremes who really now speak for their political party and i think each political party has been hijacked by those people at those extremes mm -hmm. i mean when you hear them talk it's mm -hmm. it's all no one's talking about um the responsibility that comes with freedom i mean when when you're when you're free the other side of that coin is that you're also responsible for your life and being responsible for your life means being responsible for the relationships with people in your life and responsible in your communities because we're a part of that. Like we don't exist as separate individuals. We exist as all these beautiful relationships that we have with the other people in our life, our environment, our um well everything that we encounter in the day right what you're saying reminds me of a a quote from floyd the the, the mm. other day i read about it it says most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened of responsibility i want mm. you to <laughs> to respond yeah. to that quote and what your take on you know, this relationship between freedom and responsibility. Yeah, I mean, that that's it exactly. It's that when, when people have moments of existential dread, these like really earth-shaking moments that some people have, not everybody gets them because, again, they don't, they don't allow themselves to get the type of psychological freedom where those experiences are going to happen. But when you're in those moments and you really, really realize, wow, it's just my psyche that I'm living within and nobody else can do anything about my psyche other than me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm responsible for that 100%. And in those moments when you realize like you're alone in that, 
that can have a very profound uh, effect on what people decide to do then with their lives, but it's a very scary moment. I mean, that's what we call it, existential dread. The dread is so deep and um, just difficult to put in to words that most people run away from that feeling before they ever let themselves feel it. And that that's where people, you know, they do run to the security of their religious identification or their political identification or their identification as a parent or their identif all these identifications that we feel like there's safety and security in them. Right. It's like um life raft. It's 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 something you yeah. are holding on to to yeah. protect protect yourself or from that kind of a existential crisis or threat. A hundred percent. That's it perfectly. And so, and that's what people, uh, that's what most people do all day long their whole lives. So if they don't like that, they won't experience freedom, right? right. Because right. that's the two sides of the same coin. So I would imagine, you know, a lot of people nowadays, part of their, you know, this identity politics in some way can be seen as a, their own way of protecting themselves from the chaos in our world. Isn't, yeah. you know, because you want a part of that, because you feel safer yeah, within you, a group. Yeah, you get some placard or some yard sign, you put the yard sign up in your yard and doing that, you feel like you're now more secure. Like, you know, now I'm part of all the people in my neighborhood who also have a similar yard sign up. And now I feel a lot more secure because, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, you know, it's, it's the flimsiest of things, but it is actually is what it's doing is helping people not necessarily take responsibility in that deep, profound way for their lives. It's like, yep, I I put the yard sign up, and so now I can, I'm safe and secure in that, and I can go back to just kind of like, you know, not really doing much of anything. What ha What will happen next? Do you think that then, let's say, it's getting the world is getting more chaotic, right? You know, the people we're describing, we're talking about now, um, you think eventually they will get disillusioned, will say, oh, that safety thing is illusionary. So I need to find a, even greater ones to protect myself. So what, how, how does that process might work going forward? Well, I mean... I think even just like looking at things like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So it's like, okay, well, you know, yeah, there's all these people who are looking for security in these political identities, but you know, I'm clever. I'm smart. I see through all that. So, you know, it's going to fall apart. So well, when things fall apart, it's the people with cryptocurrencies. They're the ones that are going to be safe and secure. So I'm going to go out and put my, 
money in cryptocurrencies and that's what's going to save me and so they just put their wrap their identity up in that and then you hear these people and you know yeah. they're always talking about bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and it it becomes its own religion and life raft and it's like it's all the same stuff it's all these people clinging to these identities and these concepts that they're using to just not experience that deep profound freedom that comes with recognizing the the state that we're in as humans right right in this chapter you know if you you know follow the 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 you know the the follow the logic of what uh, Laozi was trying to say is like Xu Qi Xing, you know, mm-hmm. Ruo Qi Zhi, Bao Qi Fu. What, 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 what kind of things do you think in this kind of environment maybe let that help us prepare instead of having these illusions we just talked about to really like pragmatically? I, I know, like we talked earlier about. You know, first of all, we shouldn't like cling on to the the falling yeah. system, right? Or even uh, <clears throat> cooperating with in some way. But uh, so we're talking about living more freely because still, despite what's going on, there's still like room for freedom. So yeah. how do you exercise that freedom? Well, in America, we think that it comes by being able to go to the grocery store and having 500 potato chip options or 600 kombucha options. Mm-hmm. Like we conflate that with freedom. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's just like, but that's what we think it, <laughs> that's what we think it means to be free. You know, I can go to the grocery store and have, a whole aisle of snacks with every single option of available. And now I'm free to choose, you know, from 500 different ice cream flavors. Right. And just right. from, from psychology, we actually know that that makes people so much more stressed out. Having 500 options makes people miserable. Right. Right. So that's one thing that Louts is talking about. And in those few, phrases that's what he's saying it's like the more that you inflame the desires in people's hearts you're just making things that much more chaotic like keep keep it simple i mean that was the other old for you know keep it simple stupid you know there's life doesn't have to be so complicated mm-hmm. and um that's not what we're doing though we're making it so complicated where you know and and people are miserable people are not happy so freedom you know there's the freedom of not desiring so much there's the freedom of not needing to be treated special there's the freedom of not having to cling to all these identities to just be a consciousness that experiences a life, you know, your life. Mm -hmm. 
that's where there's freedom. And it's like, and you're not in control of that. And that's why Louts is even saying like, don't bother taking all these actions. Cause it's like, <laughs> you're still not in control. I mean, any person out there listening right now, write down what you think your life is going to be like three years, we even just say three years from now, where you're going to live, what you're going to be doing day to day, who you're, who you're going to be spending time with, um, what's going on in the news. Just write that down and take a guess. And, and for the next three years, like, what would you say? Like, what, what, what will you d write down on, on the paper in response to those questions? Well, I would write it down at, that I would just be experiencing my life. That's what I'll be doing. I'll be experiencing my life. So the underlying thing is you are not, you are not sure about what's going to happen. You know, that's what I see in the world. Like, you know, let's say companies used to do this strategic planning or yeah. five-year planning, whatever, how many yeah. years, but it's so hard to do. It's yeah. so hard to do now because you don't know. So is that why you choose to experience life right now, like here and now, instead of, you know, trying to figure out or project what that future might look like three years from now? Yeah, I mean, we have this, um, neocortex that that enables us to plan in a way that other animals can't, which is why like mm -hmm. four or five of us through communication a hundred thousand years ago could kill much more ferocious, bigger animals than us because we could plan. We could say like, right. you stand there, you stand there, and we could formulate like how things were going to happen. Right. And it, and it would work enough times mm -hmm. that that we survived. And so we heavily re rely upon that as a species to survive. And it is how we got to here. So it's not like it was useless. Right. But, but the point is, like, we esteem it so much now that we feel like it's life itself, that like the planning and the strategizing and all of this intellectual activity is life itself and it's not like that's that's just planning that's just mental activity it's not experiencing life in a human way that's full of emotions and uncertainty and doubt and confusion and victories and defeats and everything else in between and what people have done though is we've erased all that to just cling to the safety of that, what we can plan and what we can cling to in our, in our heads. All right. So in other words, like thinking should have its own place. We, we, we tend to overthink nowadays. For definitely. Right. Right. And in my therapy practice, it's like overthinking is most of what people are doing who come to see me. Right. Let me ask you like, you know, I, I think I see a lot of over, like overthinking, overeating, over, right? There's overdoing, over, overkilling. Um, so all these overs, uh, aren't they are symptoms? Like, let's say we're 
facing an uncertain future. You know, different people might have different mindsets. Some people say, oh, you know, if I don't enjoy, if I don't grab as much as possible now, uh, you know, if something bad happens. So they, it's really a reflection of their anxiety about the uncertain future. So that it actually intensifies uh, their wants mm -hmm. in a certain way. Uh, you know, people may say, oh, they're greedy, but can it be understood as a way of like hedging toward an uncertain future? Because we're facing an uncertain future. It's almost like, you know, the world is going to end in some way. So people are actively accumulating mm -hmm. things even more or they are thinking even more in mm -hmm. order to, to get some relief from that uncertainty. Yeah, even squirrels run around in the fall and gather up as many nuts as they can to mm -hmm. save for the winter. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of our mm -hmm. animal past. I mean, bears fatten up before they go and hibernate for the year. Mm -hmm. for the winter. So it's not that these, I mean, nothing is unnatural. I mean, everything that exists in this mm -hmm. world is natural. And even the extreme behavior that people have is natural because mm -hmm. everything is a part of the, of, of Tao. But we also know that when things go to their extreme, they become their opposite. And so all that we're describing is that the more extreme that people go with thinking and hoarding and accumulation, it's just accelerating it to the opposite, which is, um, you know, in, in the case that we're talking about, you know, we're ecological collapse because we've put, we're, we're, we're trying to create so much wealth and try, which, you know, we also know only a few people are actually getting that we're pushing it to the opposite, which is collapse. And that's what happens in people's lives. They, they overthink to an extreme. And this is what I see. They collapse and they're fatigued, they're wore out. Um, and then that becomes depression. So yeah, it, it's natural, but if we don't have moderation, we're going to push it to an extreme and it's going to, the pole is going to reverse. So, okay. So that, 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 uh, I have a question here. Um, as an individual, are you cooperating with Dow by pushing it further or are you exercising moderation? You're actually being a contrarian. So it seems like there are two ideas here. One is, okay, so we're on the verge of something, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we just uh, go with the flow, just act since it's naturally, everybody mm -hmm. else does, right? Mm -hmm. So just by being pushing that, you know, like the last straw on the camel and this thing can return. So that's mm -hmm. one thing, right? As an individual, like people, consciously or unconsciously they choose yeah. or you know we see this we say well we let's let's empty our minds uh you know let's just make sure we have enough to eat then that is more of a re the other 
the opposite side of that action, right? It's almost like a contrarian approach. So when everybody is panicking and anxious and go to extreme, we exercise moderation, right? So my question is, which way to go? How, how do you, you know, you see different behaviors, I guess. Well, if we're listening to Lao Tzu, we would say Wu Wei. So you just, you do, you just don't interfere mm. with, with things and you do the things that, that are necessary. I mean, obviously if you're hungry, you need to get food somehow. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously if you're cold, you need to have shelter somehow. Mm -hmm. um, obviously if you're in need of anything that your body is telling you that you need, that's, that's genuine, you're going to take the actions that are required to get those things. But again, like listening to our bodies instead of our heads, because that's, that's how upside down everything is. We've stopped listening to our bodies and the wisdom of our bodies that tell us, you know, we talked about all this over, but when it comes to our bodies, we're actually really under. We, we under listen to our bodies. We underutilize our bodies. We're not getting, we're not moving enough. We're not engaging with our bodies uh, enough. We're over everything in our heads, like overly in our heads, watching, you know, clips on the internet or net, maybe not Netflix anymore because everybody's leaving Netflix and going mm -hmm. to some other, mm -hmm. uh, but you get my point. Like we're overstimulating our heads and we're under nourishing and listening to our bodies. So that's what I would say. Um, get out of our heads and get back in our bodies because it's through our bodies that we experience the wholeness of life. So, you know, for example, just to give a personal corollary for me, it's, it's writing and producing music. I mean, when I'm recording music and singing, it's like I'm standing up and it's like I can, I'm moving my whole, like I'm dancing while I'm singing and I'm feeling this whole experience. And like, I can feel my chest heaving as I'm like breathing in these emotions and trying to convey them through my voice and then putting it all together in a song. I mean, that is a full experience where everything is involved and I'm paying attention to what's happening inside my whole body, not just thinking about like, you know, some propaganda that I read in, in the news. I mean, I'm affected by that too, but I'm differentiating like what we can do versus what's a waste of time. That's a very uh, helpful uh, sharing uh, just give us a, a very vivid example what it feels like. Um, you know, that reminds me of the this word, which is different from the Western notion, which is in Chinese is xing, the, the mind heart. Mm. Because, uh, you know, it's always, you know, like we in the West, it's talking about this duality between feeling and intellect, right? The mind. Mm. Uh, but 
in China, traditionally, it's only one word. It's in, instead mm -hmm. of da nao, the big brain. Yeah, brain. Or we're yeah. talking about xing. Xing is a center for both human cognition and also, you know, the, the emotion. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was wondering when you say body, uh, you know, it's not the body we mm -hmm. normally talked about, let's say, you know, you need to, well, eating is part of it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like physiolo uh, physiology, right, of the whole body. But I, uh, you know, in listening to you, I feel like you're talking more about it, that, uh, you know, reconnection with the body. What is that body that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I mean so in, in Paris, there's a museum called the Branley and it's a really awesome museum because it goes and explores civilizations all around the world, ancient civilizations all around the world when when people were um, you know pre pre-modern era mm -hmm. and it and it shows you what was at the center of every single one of these civilizations. And it's like food and food preparation and the tools for food and these basic rituals of um, fertility, mm -hmm. death, and, and central to all of these was music and dance. There, that museum is like, you can't fathom how many musical instruments are in that museum. I mean, they have, there's this whole center area where it's like, there's just so many types of instruments. Like you have no idea how many musical instruments have been invented and created and used throughout civilization because music is so important to people's existence. It, it's, it's why they're still, I mean, you want to talk about people who have influence. Yeah, politicians try to, but it's still artists that really move people. And, and when people are moved in that way, that's the body that I'm talking about that gets moved when, you know, people are listening to music and, yeah, their minds are there, but their their bodies, their move, they can't help but to move. They can't help but to smile. They can't help but to sing and and feel the whole rhythm of everybody all at once, like the individual body, but the body of the whole community that's there. That reminds me of the old continent where our ancestors came from, meaning Africa. Like mm -hmm. I, in my mind there's the picture of the bonfire there are people like dancing all around formulating yep. that unite unifying hope yep which you know mirrors nature right we are all yep. really like connected like the whole entire fabric and that's what louts is talking about we don't need all this bullshit we need a bonfire some good food to eat some music and to dance and have a good time with the people around us. That's all we need. Wow. I'm very interested in co continuing this conversation because, you know, it, it's, it, it has led us to, you know, where we are.
but I feel like there's still more we can dig into. But since we are at the end of the hour, so I want to thank our listeners for uh, you know being with us, you know having this conversation, and um, you know we'll continue in our next uh, episode.